Okay, this is the Chumash portion for Friday of Parshas Kisete. The opening verse is five. When a man marries a new wife, he shall not go out to the army, nor is he obligated for any matter of the army. He shall be free for his house for one year, and he shall make glad his wife whom he has married. So Rashi here is explaining that we have a very special law which shows us how important it is that first year of marriage. So Rashi says, it says he marries a new wife, meaning she's new to him, meaning she could be a widow. But the only one it cannot be is, and this is another very special commandment, if a man and woman were divorced and then remarried. Yesterday we were discussing a woman who married someone else in between, and that's forbidden. But if a man and woman were divorced and remarried, that's a special mitzvah, that's a special commandment. But such a woman is exempt. He, he does not get the special provisions of a new wife. But for any other woman, he would. It says he's not obligated. Rosh explains he's not obligated to do anything for the army. For any matter, meaning not only does he not have to fight for the duration of that year, but he doesn't have to work for the army either. Because there are other people that did not fight but had to supply water and food, had to fix the roads. In other words, we had actually in the previous Torah portion, the previous Parsha, that the Jews were told anyone who built a house but didn't yet live in it, who is ritually engaged to a woman but not yet married, such people do not have to fight. But they have to work for the army. But here, in his first year of marriage, not only does he not have to fight, he doesn't have to work for the army. His whole focus should be he and his wife, enjoying his wife, making her happy. Nice commandment. Um, so it's interesting, the discrimination. If he's engaged and not yet married, he doesn't fight, but he has to work for the army. But if he is married in his first year of marriage, he doesn't have any military obligations. His whole focus is supposed to be his marriage. Now, it's interesting because the verse says, literally, he shall be free for his house for one year, which, of course, his house means, you know, his wife, his home, his new home they're building together. But Rashi says it's actually the same law applies with a house, meaning, again, if someone built a house but didn't live in it yet, he's free from fighting, he's free from combat duty, but he still has to work for the army. But if someone built a house and just began living it, and he's in his first year of living in the house, he's free of everything. The same thing it says. If someone planted the vineyard and didn't yet use it at all, he doesn't have to fight, but he has to work for the army. But if he did begin using it, and he's in his first year of using it, he's completely free from any military duties just to enjoy his vineyard. That's a very interesting law. Rashi says, if you look at the grammar, and it says, v'simach es ishto, which you might translate as, he shall be glad with his wife. And Rashi says that's not what it's saying. It's not saying he shall be glad with his wife. It's saying he should make his wife glad. And that is the correct translation, understanding the grammar of those words. 
The next verse, now this is a different commandment. You should not take a mill or a grindstone as a pledge because you'd be taking the life of the person as a pledge. Rashi explains you should not take as a pledge, meaning if someone owes you a debt and you come to court to claim the debt from a loan that you have made earlier, at that point, this collateral is taken because the debt is due. So we are not here talking about security taken. You want this loan, I don't know, it's a lot of money, okay, I'll give you this as security. We're not talking about that. We're saying, I gave the loan in goodwill, but now the loan is due and you're not paying it. So now I come to court and say, I need this loan paid up. The man says, I don't have any money here. Take this as a collateral for that loan that I owe you now. So what is this verse saying? That when you're taking that collateral for your debt, you can't take collateral from things which are used to prepare food. In other words, here we're saying very specifically a millstone because the millstone was used to grind the wheat, to grind the, the stalks, to produce flour. But this millstone is understood to be an example of any implement used for preparing food. So then Rashi explains, Rechayim, the mill, is the lower millstone, and Rochev is the upper millstone. Now usually a Rechev means a chariot. But obviously Rashi can't understand this to mean a millstone and a chariot because you don't make food out of chariots. So therefore he explains it's the lower and upper millstone which together are used to grind and create the flour. Next verse, next commandment, different issue. If a man is found kidnapping a person among the Jewish people and he enslaves him and sells him, the kidnapper shall die, and you shall destroy the evil from your midst. So we have here three conditions. You kidnapped a Jew, you forced to, to, him to work for you, you enslaved him, and you sold him. If you do all three of those things with, obviously, witnesses and warnings, you have capital punishment here. So the verse says, if a man is found, and Rashi says, is found means he's found by witnesses and warnings. Whenever the court below punishes, it's only if there's witnesses and warning. Two witnesses who could also be the two people that warned or there could be two different people that warned. It's, of course, fairly rare to have witnesses and warning, especially for things involving capital punishment, especially here where there's three offenses, the kidnapping, witnesses and warning, the enslaving, witnesses and warning, the selling, witnesses and warning. It seems very unlikely. We say, listen, God can always take care of him. We're given these laws this is his due punishment. If there's witnesses and warning, we are obligated to handle it. And if there's not, God will do it also. He's still obligated for the death penalty, and God will make it happen. It says, and he enslaves him. So Rashi says, for him to receive capital punishment, he has to make him perform labor. The next verse, a different commandment. Be careful about the tzara'as affliction. Tzara'as is that spiritual skin disease. Be very careful. According to everything the kohanim should instruct you, as I've commanded them, you should be careful. Which connects to the next verse. Remember what God did to Miriam on the way when we were leaving Egypt. Sarashi so says, what does it mean, be careful about the tzara'as affliction? What's the care we need in it? 
So the care is not to remove any signs of the impurities. It's forbidden to cut away any sign of impurity. There's signs like a white hair or literally on your skin different sizes, signs. Any sign cannot be cut away because once it's cut away, the priest who's supposed to determine if this is the Tsaras spiritual skin disease or not can't judge it. He doesn't see it. So that's what this Rashi says. You can't tear away any signs of impurities. You can't cut off the white hairs or any of the spots. You have everything according to what the priests instruct you. The priest can either instruct you. There's three things the priest can say. They can either say, you have to be closed off and we have to wait a week to see. Or they definitively say, yes, this is impure. Or they definitively say it's pure. So any of those three options they use, you have to listen to them. And the following verse said, remember what God did to Miriam when we were leaving Egypt. Rashi explains, if you want to make sure you're not stricken with this spiritual disease, because this spiritual disease is often connected to gossiping, so don't speak such bad talk, because this is what happened to Miriam. Of course, Miriam was a very, very, very holy tzaddikis, a perfectly godly person. Yet she spoke against her brother Moses, Moshe, and she was stricken by Tiras. And of course, Miriam was doing this in a very, very, very godly way. And still she was stricken by Tiras. So how much more so for us, we have to be careful that we don't say anything that, of course, not nowadays, because it happens to us nowadays around the spiritual level to do something wrong and immediately see a physical, spiritual manifestation of it. But in those days they were. So be careful. The next verse, now we're talking about a different commandment, and all of the following verses, meaning the rest of our section from verse 10 through 13, is all about this issue. When you hold against your fellow the debt, you should not enter his home to take his security. So this means here, not when you're lending money. This means when you're holding a debt, meaning this could be a debt because of a loan. This could be a debt because someone purchased something from you on credit. This could be a very, very small amount. Any of these things apply. As Rashi says, it says a debt of any amount. It could be the smallest bet. All these laws would still apply. So here this person owes you money. And you have the security. You're not allowed to go into his home to take the security. The next verse says you should stand outside. And the man from whom you claim the debt shall bring the security to you outside. You don't want to embarrass him. You don't want to go into his house. Next verse, if he's a poor man, you should not lie down to sleep with his security. Rashim explains, you can't lay down to sleep, not literally with the security, like in your bed, but, but you can't keep the security. You're not allowed to use the security ever, because if you use the security, it's like you're getting interest on it. But you have to return it, meaning the law here is, you see the enormous kindness of God in this situation to these poor people. 
Someone owes you money. So he gave you a security. Of course, in our world, well, you keep the security until he pays you back. In God's world, every single day, you have to return the security to him at the time he needs it. If it's a blanket that he's going to sleep with, every night he has to have it. You can come every morning and take it, but every evening you have to return it to him. If it's something he uses for his day's labor that he needs during the day, at night you could take it. Every night you could take it, but every morning you have to return it to him. And you can't go into his house. And you need an emissary of the court to take it. All of this to be very careful, to respect the dignity of the person, to honor the person, to not embarrass the person. You see how we're quadruple bending over backwards. Could you imagine the burden on this man who's owed money that every single day has to go to his house to get the security and every single day has to go back to his house to return the security? You have to be very, very careful with the honor of another person. As the next verse says, you should return the security to him when the sun sets. He will lie down to sleep in his garments and bless you and for you will be act of righteousness before God. So, Rosh is explaining, we're saying you should return to the security when the sun sets, assuming it's a night garment. What if his security is a day garment? Well, then, every morning you give it to him and every night you take it. So the point is, whenever he needs it, he has it. And when he doesn't need it, you can have it. And then the verse says, You'll bless, he'll bless you because of your kindness to him. And this will be a merit for you to God. Well, she says, and if he doesn't bless you, it's still an act of righteousness. It's an act of righteousness if he acknowledges it or not. His blessing is not making conditional that it's an act of righteousness. So it's two separate issues. He will bless you, and if he does or if he doesn't, it's a tremendous act of righteousness what you are doing in this situation. And we're told that God says that if a person can say, this is like such a burden on me every day to take it, every day to return it, every day to take it, every day to return it, God says, hey, I do the same thing for you. Every night you go to sleep, I take out your soul, I cleanse your soul, and every morning I give your soul back. And every night I take your soul away. And every morning I give your soul back. I do this for you every single day, twice a day. You can do this to give the dignity and respect and physical need to this poor man to also every day return it, every night take it, every day return it. And that is the Chumash portion for Friday.